You are listening to a message recorded at Living Hope Church in Southwick, Massachusetts. We hope you find encouragement through God's Word today. Good morning. Good to be with you here today. We show special honor to missionary Diane Westcott, who's back with us from Ghana recently. So we welcome you, Diane. Thank you for being with us today. And we welcome you and thank you for being with us today, worshiping with us, whether you're worshiping with us online or in person. Um, I want to pause for a moment and talk about something that's important. Before we get into our message, we don't often take time like we did this morning to do what we did. Oftentimes, we we sing our worship, we get done, and we move on to the next part of the service. But I want to emphasize how important it is that when God is speaking, and God speaks through different people by inspiration of the Spirit to either share something to encourage us to move us forward or to share something that will be transformational for us in prayer, it's important for us to pause and take a moment for those things. So even though that might not be the norm and it might seem a little different to you, it's important because God can do more in those moments than any amount of my preaching. Because when God touches your heart, when he changes something in you, when he shifts a perspective, it can just completely change your life for the better. And so it's important that we take time when we hear those exhortations, those encouragements to come to the Lord or to lay things down before him or to trust him in a greater degree. Uh, it's important we take time to do that because the things that God will do in those moments will be life-changing, and you'll be the better for it. So I just wanted to let you know that and encourage you to continue to do what we did this morning whenever God calls to us. We've been in a series uh, called Roots and Fruit. We've been talking about different things and how God wants to change us on the inside and how sometimes we find it difficult to change. I know if you're like me, then there are times there are things that we don't like about ourselves that we want to change, but we have difficulty changing And the first week we talked about roots and fruit and how a lot of the experiences we've been through, whether it be traumatic or whether it be uh, hang-ups or sins that we've been involved in, sometimes those are roots that are deep within us and that will produce a certain kind of fruit in our lives that's unbecoming, uh, a certain kind of fruit that we just don't really want to have. And the only way that we can see any difference take place in that is if we actually get down to the root of the problem. What is it that causes us to do what we do? And then we pull those things up. And when we pull those things up, it usually leaves a hole. And we've got to replace that hole with something else. And the thing that we should replace replace it with is something good that God has given us and so that we can plant a good seed and bring about good fruit in our lives. Last week I talked about uh, idols and altars. And how there are things in this life that an idol in this world, most of us don't have statues that we bow down to in our homes. We don't have idols of wood, stone, or clay. But we live in a world where the society tells us to worship, pursue, and follow after certain things. And those things can be the object of our affection and our attention to the degree that they become more important than our walk with God. And when that happens, that those things become a God that we worship above Jesus. And it's important for us to tear down the idols in our lives and to build an altar. And the way we build an altar is, we're not talking about building an altar of stone or anything like that, but sometimes the front of the sanctuary is referred to as the altar. It's a place where we humble ourselves in God's sight. It's a place of worship for what God has done. And it's a place of sacrifice where we give up things that God tells us, hey, we need to give those things up. 
This week I want to share with you a thought about living life unveiled. The title of my message today is Living Life Unveiled. Now, to the word unveil means to remove a covering, to make something public for the first time, to throw off a protective veil or a coat. And basically it means to take something that was hidden and to make it seen. And I believe God is calling us to have his glory to be seen through us. And it's time for us to stop hiding behind the coverings or masks that prevent the world from seeing who we are and seeing who God is. Jesus wants us to live life uncovered and unveiled. Let's take a look at a verse today to help us with this understanding. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, turn there. If you don't, then you can look on the screen. I'll tell you, if you did bring your Bible, you know, open it, highlight it, bookmark it, read it later. You know, since uh, our time in the Word is not just for this moment. Our time in the Word is for you to think about during the week and to grow from it and to learn from it. How many know that God can still teach you long after this service is over? He can bring insights to you and truth to you long after the sermon's done and during your week. So I encourage you to, if you have your Bible, to turn there with me. And starting in verse 4 of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and Paul says this, Such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, and the Spirit gives life. Now I want to pause here. Because as we walk through these verses, it can be easy for us to get lost. But I want to start here to state that Paul explains that the old Mosaic law, the law of Moses, the law of the Jewish people, with its rules and regulations were designed to bring about conviction. They were designed to condemn those who were in sin. And as a result, that condemnation led to spiritual death. Now, he goes on to explain a little bit more. That's where he means when he says the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. He's speaking about the Old Testament law, the Old Covenant. And he goes on to explain in verse 7. He says, now, if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze as Moses' face because of its glory which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there is glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, uh, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. In other words, meaning the new covenant that's coming is greater in glory than the older one. Verse 11, for if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will with what is permanent have even greater glory. So to explain it this way, Paul contrasts the two covenants. He contrasts that which brings death and condemnation through sin and judgment. And he contrasts that with the the spirit that brings life and and brings forgiveness and salvation. Uh, Which means, so under the old covenant, uh, mankind is spiritually condemned unless he sought atonement for his sins through the sacrificial system that God and Moses had set up. But it was still a covenant, even though it wasn't uh, complete. 
It was revealed by, given by, and backed by God himself, and so it was revealed in glory. Moses saw the glory of God on Mount Sinai when the Lord gave him the Ten Commandments and the rest of the covenant of Israel. Now, how glorious was this covenant when it was given to Moses? Well, it says that after Moses spent 40 days in the presence of the Lord, that when he came down from the mountain, his face radiated a brightness so great and so blinding that the people around him told him to cover his face. All right? Kind of think about being at the tanning bed maybe too long. Okay, you radiate a little more sunshine than you need to. Exodus chapter 34 tells a story of what happened. So Moses goes and spends time with God, spends 40 days in the presence of God on Mount Sinai. And in Exodus 34, verses 29 through 35, it says this. It says, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses and beheld his skin and his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him, but Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. And afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them that all that the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Verse 34, whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with them, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people what Israel was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, see the skin of Moses' face was shining, and Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with them. So think about that. God and Moses meet. They talk for a while. And how many know when you spend time with God, you walk away changed? So people were afraid of Moses because he radiated the glory of God. And something happened to him when he spent time with God. His face shined brightly to the point that other people couldn't handle it. You know, when you spend time with God on a regular basis and spend time in his presence, you will be changed. Your attitude will be brighter. Your perspective will be different. You will be more joyful. And so much so, believe it or not, that even some Christians can, will even kind of get a little annoyed with you. Okay? Sometimes you're so full of faith and encouragement and prayer that they're like, ah, oh, enough, okay? Can you just, just back off, will you? And sometimes people around you that don't know God, they're like, again with this? Can you just kind of chill out? But I will tell you this. When you spend time with God, whether at the beginning of the, your day or at the end of your day, the more time you spend with God, the more your countenance, your attitude, your, your radiance will change, and people will notice the difference. But as glorious as Moses' countenance was and his appearance was, it was temporary. 2 Corinthians 3, 7 says, Eventually the glory of God that shined on Moses' face eventually faded away. And just like the old covenant, it too would pass away, and a new covenant in Christ would take its place. The old glory of that previous covenant was fading, but a new glory was coming. Because we're not under the law anymore, but we are under God's grace. The word of God still holds truth today, and it still tells us the difference between right and wrong. 
But instead of us walking in condemnation because we couldn't live up to that standard or because we couldn't uh, offer sacrifices for the atonement of our sins, we now have in Christ the ability to be forgiven on a regular basis and we're saved by grace, not by the law anymore. It is by grace you have been saved through faith so that no one can boast. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 tells us that. One covenant has given way to another, from the law of Moses to the cross of Christ. Now, uh, as my New Testament survey college professor used to say, and you can write this down to help you, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. That's the first part. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. Now, what does that mean? It means that it says that we show, the Old Testament shows us pictures of Christ and salvation and what he was going to do long before he did it. For example, we see theophanies in the Old Testament. These are appearances of Christ before he was born to Mary, the captain of the Lord's host in Joshua, the fourth man in the fire in the book of Daniel. These are appearances of Christ before he would actually be born of a virgin, uh, and come in the Gospels. We see the plan of salvation and redemption in the Passover to the point that Jesus is called the Passover lamb or the lamb that was slain. We see prophecies in Isaiah about Israel's deliverer. Isaiah talking about where the Messiah would be born and what region of the country he would come from. No one can plan where they're born. No one can plan where they come from. Only God can ordain those things. Even the psalmist writes in the Old Testament, in various passages, as David writes it, how Jesus would die and what would happen to him on the cross and what would happen to him prior to that. So if you're looking for Jesus in the Old Testament, believe me when I say that, you will find him there. But for many Jews and for unbelievers, they don't see Christ at all in the Old Testament at all. For them, it's still covered. It's kind of like a statue that has a blanket over it or a huge a tarp over it, and it hasn't been unveiled yet. Or like a plaque at a grand opening that has a little sheet over it that hasn't been pulled away. Or like a person who covers their face so you can't see what they look like until they take it off. Have you ever watched the show The Masked Singer? No? Now I feel like really bad because I've watched like four seasons of it. But it's a singing show in which the singers have a mask over their face and they sing and, and the judge is trying to guess like who the celebrity or the singer is underneath the mask. And when they take off the mask, like the judges are always like shocked and surprised. Like what a huge star. They're not. They're B, you know, they're B-level actors or they're washed-up has-been singers. But they like to act like it's surprising when they take their masks off. And finally, it's revealed who they are to everyone's surprise. But it's kind of like that. Everything that was covered is now being revealed. Now, continue back with me in 2 Corinthians 3 to find out when the veil is removed. Now, look at verses 12 onward. And it says, Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses who would put a veil over his face, so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. 
For to this day, even when the Old Covenant is read, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever uh, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. Verse 16, I want you to notice this and highlight it and maybe bold it in your Bible. It says, when, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. I'll say it again. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. So when is the veil removed from a person's understanding? When do they finally understand and see what has been hidden for centuries? It happens when they turn and believe in Jesus as their Savior. At that point, the veil of their understanding is finally removed and they start to see and things start to make sense to them. Uh, Remember what it was like before you became a Christian? Remember you would try and crack open the Bible and read it like a novel? Remember there were times that you would open a passage of Scripture and you would read it and you'd go, I don't get it. Right? Until the day you came to Christ. Until the day you became genuinely saved, and then you found that when you opened the Word up, it spoke to you. It's almost like the words came alive. You know why that is? Is because in verse 16 it says, but when a person comes to Christ, the veil is removed, and you start to see things clearly. I'll tell you today, if you are sitting here this morning and you haven't given your heart to Christ, and God's been a mystery to you, He doesn't want to be a mystery anymore. He's revealed himself through his word and by his spirit so that you would know who God is and that you would experience his glory. So if you want to understand the word, come to Christ and say, Jesus, I want to receive you as my Savior, and he by his spirit will make himself known to you through his word. Christ is revealed to us through the Holy Spirit, and when the gospel is preached, This is the greater glory that Paul was talking about. Look at verses 17 and 18 of chapter 3. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled faces behold the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is spirit. You've heard the phrase before, where the spirit of the Lord is There is freedom. That's not just a worship thing. That has to do with the fact that we are free from the condemnation of the law. We are free from sin's condemnation over our life. And where the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ is, there is freedom. We are free from sin. We are free from the guilt of the past. We are free uh, to forgive others. We are free. Uh, from the heartbreaks that we've gone through, that God is able to work in us. We have the freedom to walk with the Lord now without someone else being our go-between. I want you to think about this. Up until uh, the coming of Christ, that everybody had to go through someone else in order to see God. Now, We have the freedom to walk with God without someone being our go-between. Why? Because Christ is now our go-between. He is our high priest. He is the one that's making intercession before the Father on our behalf. So we now can walk with God just as Adam walked with God. We can experience and see the glory of God. Not just the glory of salvation, but the glory of the presence of God. Think about this. In the Old Testament, That could only be experienced by one person. Moses went up to the mountain. 
on Mount Sinai came down with the, the covenant. Uh, the priest would go into the Holy of Holies on certain times of the year to offer atonement for the sins of the people. Only he could go into the presence of God. Only the prophets, Elijah and others, Ezekiel, were taken up into the presence of God and experienced God face to face and saw the glory of God. That was something that only one person could experience, and they would come back and tell people about it. And you would experience the glory of God secondhand. One of the wonderful glories of this new covenant is now because of the work that Christ has done in your life. Because of the work of the cross, because of the redemptive work of the cross and his resurrection, you are now forgiven and you stand righteous, something that the law couldn't do. And because you are righteous, you can approach the very throne room of God with boldness and you can come into the presence of God and experience the glory of God. You can experience his presence. You can feel and sense his presence. God can speak to you clearly like he spoke to people this morning. That was something that was only limited to a few under the old covenant, but under the new covenant, we now can experience and reflect the glory of God. When Jesus came, he removed the veil. The moment he died, the curtain that separated the outer court from the most holy place was torn in two. There is no more separation between God and man. We can come to God the Father through Jesus Christ. If we put our faith in Jesus, in his word, and the work that he did on the cross, if we ask forgiveness for our sins and put our faith in the resurrection testimony of Jesus, we can now have a relationship with God that we never had before, the same kind of relationship that Moses had, that it says Moses spoke with God as a man spoke with his friend. We have a friend in Christ today. God is not your enemy. God is not your judge that's going to hit you with a hammer. God has sent his son, Jesus Christ, so you might see who he truly is and that you might be able to come before God because of what Jesus had done. When we have a relationship with God, one-on-one, -on -one, it is a life-changing relationship. So much so that the psalmist in Psalm 34, 5 says, those who look to him, in other words, those who look to the Lord are radiant and are never put to shame. As believers in Jesus, we've experienced the life-changing power of the cross. We have seen the goodness of God. We have felt his presence in times of worship and in times of prayer. We're able to do what no one in the Old Testament could ever do, and that's to go into the most holy place where God's presence is and just sit down with him. I'm going to just pause and think about that for a minute. That in our hurried life, we're so busy. Jesus, help. We're so busy that we don't have time to spend with him. Sometimes 15 minutes is a struggle. But think about what you have access to that the old covenant saints did not. Think about coming into the most holy of holies and just sitting there. Think of coming into the throne room of God and God's presence being there and just you being able to stay there as long as you want to. And we ask God for wisdom and insight, direction and guidance, yet we don't spend the time with him for him to be able to speak with us. Think of it this way. It's not in my notes, but it's here for you anyway. Have you ever tried to give someone instructions quickly as you were leaving? Like you're about to catch your plane, you're running late, or the person that's supposed to watch your house, 
is running late and you need to leave and you have like five minutes, right? They come into the house, you're like, oh, we're finally here, I gotta go. Uh, feed the dog, you know, make sure it gets food, you know, three times a day, make sure it gets his medication once a day and make sure that, uh, you know, you make sure the lights are off when you leave the house, make sure the doors are locked and the front door gets a little stuck at times, so you have to really pull it and make, and like, imagine trying to communicate all that in five minutes to the person that you're just about to leave, right? How much of that do you think they'll actually remember? <laughs> they'll be like, feed the dog. That's all they got out of it. They got like the first thing and everything else is kind of like secondary. It's the same thing with the Lord. If you want him to tell you the things that you need to know for your life, don't just give him five minutes. Spend more time with him. There are times where he'll want to say things to you, but because of the frame of mind you're in, you won't be able to hear it. There are times where he will want to tell you things, but because you're stubborn, you won't want to do it that way. How many know that God kind of gives us instructions that are different than the way we would figure it out? So sometimes we just have to take time. It's like God's like, I've got to ease you into this slowly because you're not going to get this in five minutes. We have the benefit of spending time with the Lord and to come into his presence. Let's do that. And as we do that, your life begins to show signs of change. You can't spend time with Jesus and not be transformed by it. As you begin to experience who he is, his love, his forgiveness, his grace, his kindness, then you start to recognize that you are being mentored and discipled by Jesus every time you spend time with him. And he starts to change those things in you so you become more like Jesus. And in this, God's glory is now reflected through us. In this, we begin to take on that quality of Christ because we've been in his presence. We spent some time with him. And so that now when we leave his presence, when we go out and interact with the world, people see in us the qualities of Jesus that they need to see in order to know God. Let's bring it back to verse 12. It says, since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so the Israelites might not gaze on the outcome of what was being brought to an end. Verse 18, and we with all, with unveiled face, behold the glory of the Lord. Some translations say reveal the glory of the Lord. So, as I bring this to a close, how do we live life unveiled? Right, we talked about it. You know, God uncovered the glory of his plan of salvation when he brought Christ into the world. When, when Jesus came on the scene, the, his plan of salvation was made manifest. The glory of God was revealed. A glory greater than the old covenant could ever be. Because now we can experience God in a way that only a few could. Now everyone has access to. Okay, so how do we, how do we live life uncovered and unveiled? Well, by not covering up who we are, number one, to the world. Okay? Remember, Moses covered up his face because the people around him couldn't handle it. But God was revealing himself through Moses, and God, Moses brought God's truth to the people. Now, we have been recipients of God's salvation. We have experienced his glory firsthand. We have seen God do great things in us. Amen? Amen. 
let me ask you a question, just by a quick upraised hand. You, let me ask you, has you, have you seen God do at least one good thing in your life? Raise your hand. Okay. All right, you put your hand down. So you've seen God do great things in you. You've experienced healing from the hurts of life through God. And if you haven't, I would say give them over to God so he can do that. We have seen God's transformation work in us. You are a different person now than you used to be. We've experienced God's touch at the altar. When times we've come to pray, we've wept, and we don't even know why we're crying. And it's not even like a, a neat, tidy cry. It's an ugly cry, right? You've been at the altar, and your mascara runs, and, you know, guys leave snot spots on you know, people's shoulders afterwards. It's like an I'm just being honest, okay? I've hugged people, and it's been right there. And, and you know what? I'm not, I'm not, I don't think that's terrible. I think that's, that's a badge of honor because God's touching that person. So think about, I wash it when I go home. I don't hang it up, okay? It's not like that. But we cry, and we don't know why we're crying. It's because we're meeting and experienced God. We've received a touch at his altar. We've received a touch from him in which we encounter God's presence and power in a way that we haven't before. We've seen God, God answer our prayers. We've found comfort in God's word. And we've seen impossible circumstances turn around because we called out to God, and God helped us. We have something so much better than anything that the world has to offer. Amen? Like, you remember being a non-Christian? You remember what you were like beforehand? You remember when you experienced all of what life had to offer? You were like Solomon. You know, I want to experience everything that was meant to be experienced in this life. And just like he wrote in Ecclesiastes, all those things are meaningless. But then you came to Christ and you realized you had so much, something so much better than anything the world had to offer so why then do we hide the glory that God has revealed in us through Jesus? Why don't we tell people we are Christians? Why are we afraid to pray over our meal with a non-Christian at lunchtime? Why do we shy away from expressing our moral objections when we're in a situation that makes us uncomfortable? Why don't we offer to pray for people when a friend shares some, a need with us that's going on in their life? Why don't we stop right there and say, can I pray for you? Why don't we do that? Why don't we share something we found encouraging from God's word from just our memory? Listen, I'm not looking necessarily for an answer. I'm just asking the questions to make us think. And I'll say that because each time we ignore that opportunity, we put a veil over our face. We cover up what God's done for us. We cover up the glory that has been revealed to us. The radiance of Jesus wants to shine through us. But instead, we throw a towel over it. Each time we ignore these opportunities, we cover up his glory. And I'm not talking about being an obnoxious Christian, okay? I'm not talking about that. There are some obnoxious Christians out there. Ones who always correct others, ones who are always judgmental, uh, or being the one that spouts off Christian cliches and catchphrases, but they don't have any meaning or depth to them. I don't 
mean be an obnoxious Christian. All I'm saying is be an obvious one. I'll say it again. I'm not asking you to be an obnoxious Christian. I'm just saying be an obvious one. Pull off the veil. Remove the mask. Stop putting on different masks depending on where you are. Listen, you might not celebrate Halloween, but there are Christians playing dress-up every day of the week, pretending to be something they're not. People who put on the Christian mask when they aren't at church, saying, hallelujah, praise the Lord, and say all the right things, but then put a different mask on when they're around their non-Christian, non-church-going friends and family. Listen, take off the mask. Be an obvious Christian wherever you are. Yes, when you reveal, let Jesus shine through. And there will be people that can't handle it, just like they couldn't handle Moses' face either. But be who you are, wherever you are, in the presence of everyone. You are his. Act like you are. Secondly, and finally, how do we live life unveiled? This is a tough one, okay? You still with me? By not covering up who we are to one another. Okay? To be a Christian in community means that you have to be transparent with one another. You have to be willing to be open about what you're going through. The problem is, if you grew up in the church generation that I grew up in, in the 80s and 90s, you never talked about your problems, your struggles, your sins, your temptations, or your fears and doubts. Instead, you covered them up. You put a mask over them to make it look like everything was okay. You said the right things, you did the right things, but you never let anybody else know about your struggles. And because everyone else was wearing the same mask, you didn't think people struggled either. Right? You come into church, everyone's saying the right things, everyone's saying the same things. And you think, well, I, I, I must be the anomaly here. I must be the person that's out of sorts because it seems like no one else is struggling. The truth is they all were. And they just learned to put a mask on around each other instead of being honest about what they were going through. Until that person that you knew stopped showing up at church. And then you heard that they became a skeptic that no longer believed. Or they developed a drug habit. Or got someone pregnant. Or started a sexually alternative lifestyle. And everyone's like shocked. And say, well, how could this happen? Why did this happen? It seemed to come out of nowhere. But the truth is, and can I share this with you? Being transparent, problems, temptations, and doubts don't claim people overnight. Your your problems, your temptations, your struggles, your doubts don't claim you overnight. It's something that works and wears away at you like like something that's been worn down to the point that it's almost completely barren. And so once it's been worn down, that, that weakness shines through. Struggles tend to be a lifetime thing. And if you aren't being transparent with your struggles in a community of faith, eventually these struggles get the better of you. Christ created his church to be a community of believers to learn how to grow together. It was never meant to be every man for himself. It was never meant to be, hey, look how much I've learned and how much I've grown in in a bubble where you're not interacting with other people. 
Discipleship was always meant to be a group effort. New believers were paired with more seasoned and mature believers to help them learn and grow. They were learning how to study God's word. They were learning how to pray. They were learning how to forgive each other and how to act like a Christian. Sometimes discipleship is just like, hey, you know, you probably shouldn't do that. It'd be a good idea if you stopped doing that in a gentle but loving way. But we don't learn those things unless we're in community with each other. This is why Jesus sent out the disciples two by two for accountability. When one stumbled, the other ones could lift them up. When one was questioning or doubting, the other person could encourage. When other, one person was down, the other person could lift them up. That's why they went out in twos. That's why Paul mentored Timothy and Titus. That's why Timothy and Titus had elders in the church to oversee and help the believers grow. That's why God established the fivefold ministry of the church to prepare God's people for works of service. You were never meant to do it alone. And in fact, sometimes that's why you don't come to church. Like, I'm just not doing this right. I'm, I'm, I'm a really bad Christian. I've heard people talk about that. It's like, I can't come to church. I'm a really bad Christian. Church is where you should be if you're a bad Christian. Not to, like, keep being a bad Christian, but so that you can be a better Christian. We were never meant to do it alone. It was always meant to be a group effort. Yet many Christians try and do this walk of faith alone. So what should we do? Meet regularly with other believers. Strength happens in community. Be honest with each other. Can we do that? Can we just be transparent like, hey, you know, I was struggling this week. It was tough. I just have, I've been sick all week. I haven't felt well, and I just need someone to pray for me. Or this thing is going on in my family. You know, my, my, my kids don't get along. They fight all the time, and it's just really wearing on me. Or, you know, I, I'm just so burdened with, with all the financial obligations that I have right now. And it's not a plea for money. It's just like, would you just pray for that? I'm just so stressed out. And why can't we be transparent with each other about these things? Why can't we be real with each other? Why can't we pull off the smiling mask that we wear on Sunday mornings with all the cliches and all the fakeness and just be real? And I think if we did that, the people that go through those things would know, I have a support group. People that are going through it would go, I can make it because I can call somebody or text somebody and they'll encourage me. This wonderful thing that happens in the body of Christ is when one's down, the other picks us up. Now, I want a little caveat here, okay, since I've got your attention. You've been so patient. You know, sometimes we're a little too transparent with the wrong people. You've got to, in community, community is developed and born out of being one with another and developing trust. And as that person is trustworthy, then you can entrust more to them. So sometimes we're like, we're, we're so starved for community that we come into a community and we share everything that's going on in life. Sometimes a person will overshare and you're like, whoa. Like, you just came out with all of it today, didn't you? If they don't know you, they're like, hey man, too much. But as you grow in that, and, and recognize there are people that sometimes are not trustworthy and like to talk about your problems with other people. So it has to be developed through time and trust. And that's how community is built. And then 
if you recognize a, a mature believer in Christ that loves the Lord and is going to pray with you and walk th- with you through it, you can give that to them and they'll help you with that. I will say, say, however, community in Christ is not for one person to talk about all their problems and dump it on the group. That's not what community is supposed to be. Community means that we're each sharing different things going on in our life, both good and bad, and we're lifting each other up in prayer and we're encouraging each other. Be real. Share with what's going on with wise and strong Christians who will love you and pray for you. Make a commitment to meet regularly with other believers. Check on each other to see how they're doing. Give room to share both the good and the bad in your life. When a person is drifting away, call them to account. Say, hey, man, what's going on with you? Talk to me and let them be honest and say, you know what? I've just been struggling with doubts and fears. Okay, let's talk about it. And listen to them. Don't just try and push away everything they're dealing with. They're dealing with real stuff. Talk with them about it. Stay connected. When good things happen, celebrate the good. When bad things happen, be there for them in the bad. God's glory is revealed through Christ to us. He's revealed it to us. And we're to reflect his glory like a mirror that reflects the sun. But we can only do this if we remove the the veil over our faces, if we remove the mask and the covering that keeps him from being seen through us. We want God's glory to be seen in us and seen in one another. So this morning, as I wrap this up, I'll ask you the question, what masks are you wearing? Are you one person on Sunday but a different person on Monday? Do you act one way among Christians but differently among non-Christian friends and family? Have you compromised who you are just to avoid conflict and conversations that are uncomfortable? Can I tell you today that mask needs to come off? Are you wearing a mask among other Christians? A mask that says everything's okay, even though deep down you know everything's not okay. You wish that you could tell them what's going on, but you don't feel like you can because you're like, who would, who would understand? Who would even care? Who would listen? Who would not just cover me with shame because of what I'm feeling? Can I tell you the church is meant to be a hospital where you get better? It's not a museum for the, the polished and the faithful. This is not a place for the perfect. This is a place where we come to where God does a healing work in us so we can be better. Masks need to come off. The masks need to be removed. True community is the solution to our fears. Discipleship that takes place regularly, meeting with other believers. When we do those things, then we get to be who we are in all of our uh, and all of our struggles and all of our pains and all of our difficulties. And as we do that, we together work together, pray together, love together so that we can be made whole and so that God's glory can be revealed in us. If you've been in the presence of God, ideally speaking, you want to bring others into the presence of God. There are people in this church that haven't experienced the glory of God like you've experienced. Be the person that ushers them into the presence of God with them. Pray them through. Bring them through. Let a person take you into that place so you, they can experience and, and uh, taste God's glory for themselves. And once they do, they'll never go back to anything else. But this morning, are you wearing a mask Who are you really? Do you feel comfortable enough to be who you are in church 
and in the presence of Christ? Are you reflecting Jesus everywhere you go? Or is he still something that you kind of cover up so that it doesn't make for a scene or make people uncomfortable? Listen, Jesus made people uncomfortable just because he lived truth and he was truth. I encourage you today, let go of the masks. Let go of the past and start being real with each other and being real with God. And the moment we do that, you will see a change unlike you have ever experienced before. You will see the revealed glory of God at work in your life. Can we pray this morning? Will you bow your heads with me? Listen, I don't know where you're at today. You know, some of you are new faces. Some of you are familiar faces. But this morning, I want to ask you the question. I want to start off first by saying, if there are those here who don't know Jesus, not in the way that I'm talking about this morning, you know, a place where, you know, it used to be like, yeah, an old covenant understanding, an Old Testament understanding. It's like, yeah, well, God's somewhere. I don't know who he is. But now Jesus has made himself known to you. He, through the gospel preaching, through the message of the cross, there is an opportunity for you to know God just like Moses knew God, just like others knew God in a real and personal way. And this morning, if you don't know Jesus in that way, I want to give you the opportunity to do so. Will you just simply, with no one else looking around, just slipping up a hand and say, I want to accept Jesus as Savior today. Will you just do that? You've never done it before, but this morning I want to give you that opportunity just to raise your hand and say, I want to accept Jesus as Savior for the first time. And for those that are here today that know the Lord, I want to challenge you with this thought. Leave the masks behind and reflect God's glory through your life so people see Jesus wherever you are. I pray that you'll receive the courage to do that. If this morning you say, Pastor, pray for me. I've got masks that need to come off and I need to be transparent with God and with one another. If that's where you're at, say, Pastor, that's me. Pray for me today. Just raise that hand. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else this morning? It's time to be real with God because as we are real with God, then he reveals himself to us. So let's pray. Father, we just thank you. I pray for those that are watching online and those that are seated here today. God, you want to have a real relationship with us in which you show us the way and you walk us throughout this life and that we can know you as closely as a man knows his friend, just as Moses knew you. So this morning I pray, Lord, help us not to be fake. Help us not to be something we're not. Help us to be Christian wherever we are, whether it's in church on Sunday or in the workplace on Monday or with friends on Friday night or whether it's around uh, the dinner table at family events. I pray that Christ would be seen in a real and obvious way in our in our situations. Help us to live and love and serve you so that others might see you and experience the glory of your salvation at work in their life. So Lord, work in our hearts and our lives, I pray in Jesus' name. And if you agree, say amen. Thank you for listening. We invite you to join us Sunday mornings to worship with us. We are located at 267 College Highway in Southwick, Massachusetts. For more information about Living Hope Church, visit us online at www.livinghopechurchag.org.